The famous 20th century theologian Karl Barth used to say that people come to church each Sunday with one question. Is it true? Is it true this talk of a living and good God? Is it still true? As I read today's scripture lesson, I kept wondering myself, is it true? Is it really true that poor people are blessed and the rich are in trouble? Is it true that those who are weeping now will one day laugh and that those who are laughing carelessly and freely and joyfully now will soon be mourning and weeping? When Jesus appeared on the scene and the masses gathered around him, almost everyone in his earshot was poor. I mean, really poor. Back then, Rome held all the wealth and the power, and you were either in that elite Roman government or you were poor. There was no middle class. And so Jesus stood among them to bring hope and comfort to those who were forever stuck in that socioeconomic downward spiral and that crushing debt and the unjust laws that kept them forever poor. He proclaimed that God would draw near to them and that the world would turn upside down and that they would be feasting sumptuously at a banquet while those who had been their oppressors would be weeping. But is it still true? For instance, would we dare say today, blessed are those minimum wage earners, those federal employees who went 35 days without a paycheck, and woe to the elected officials who shut down the government? Would we say, blessed are the refugees who are applying for asylum on our borders, but woe to those who earn millions of dollars for throwing this pigskin ball up and down a field? Would we really say, blessed are those who fled to the homeless shelters during the polar vortex, but woe to those of us who will eat far too many nachos while seated on comfortable leather sofas this afternoon watching the annual Super Bowl? Or try this one. Does it even make sense to say, blessed is Patrick Mahomes, who lost in the playoffs in overtime, but woe to Tom Brady, who keeps winning and going back year after year after year to the Super Bowl? Amen. <laughs> Jesus announced that very thing long ago, that the winners would be losers and the losers winners and that God's riches were not going to be measured by the GDP or the NASDAQ, but rather by a partnership with the poor and compassion with those who are downtrodden. God sees the world upside down and invites us to see the world also from a brand new perspective, but we continue to see it right side up. All the way through Luke's gospel, we read about God's concern for the poor. While Mary is still expecting Jesus, she sings about this child that is in her womb. She quotes from the sacred scriptures that they all knew so well, talking about her child with these words, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. And then Jesus appears and he preaches his very first sermon with the opening words, I bring good news to the poor. I preached that passage just a couple of weeks ago right here. And if we were to continue to read Luke, reading it from cover to cover, we would not be able to escape the claim that Luke makes that God desires to lift up those who are suffering. 
A couple of weeks ago when Dave and I were driving home from church, we were headed down Ward Parkway home. I think it was the Sunday I had preached that passage from Jesus, I bring good news to the poor. Dave was scrolling through his text messages when he said to me, my cousin died. Your cousin? Which cousin? Oh, he said, I don't know if you ever met this cousin. We were not close, but it's his brother, my other cousin, who's texting, telling me that they need money to help with the burial cost. I said, is the one texting you the one that we met one time on a road trip through the Dakotas? Is he the one that was driving the new motorcycle that he had bought with his mom's social security payments? Is this the cousin who's kind of shady? And Dave said, is this the preacher who just preached about Jesus caring for the poor? God sees the world upside down and we see it right side up. Is it still true that we are called to lift up the lowly? Is it still true that God's economy runs on different rules than our rules of hard work and achievement and privilege? The Methodist bishop and professor William Willimon recalls the time that he was pastoring a local congregation and a woman in his church had recently been assaulted in her own backyard. As her pastor, he took her to see a therapist, a therapist who specializes in victims of sexual violence. A few weeks into her recovery, she came back to see the pastor. She said, as a part of my recovery, my therapist wants me to tell my story to someone who's not in my family. And he began thinking of really some very gentle, nice women in the church who would be so compassionate and tender in listening to her story. And then she said, I'd like to tell it to Harry Jones. <coughs> Harry Jones? Harry Jones was a sometimes recovering alcoholic, but mostly not recovering alcoholic. He had had several different jobs in recent years, but never could quite get his life together. Harry Jones, exclaimed the pastor, I thought you would pick a woman in the church. Why would you want to tell Harry Jones? She said, because he knows what it's like to go to hell, to, been a, to have been robbed of the very little dignity that you have. Harry's got nothing. He's just like me, and so I'm pretty darn sure he can be helpful to me. Harry knew what rock bottom felt like, and she knew he could give her the courage that she needed to heal that he would be able to convey to her a sense of God's deep and abiding compassion. Is it true? Is it true that we glimpse God most often when we find ourselves completely vulnerable and fragile? Sometimes it's easier to stick with the way of the world, which says keep everything in check, manage everything very tightly, don't let your emotions get away from you. But God has a way of getting our attention by flipping things upside down. I remember my mom calling me a few months ago. She and my dad live in a high-rise condominium building that is a retirement community. She said a friend of theirs who lives there in the retirement community had called and asked them to come over and speak with him. And she suspected she knew the answer to his query he had just been placed on hospice care. 
we're unable to come. We're going to be out of town. We've got guests coming. Several times he invited them, and several times they declined to go. One night he called and said, I want both of you to come before dinner tonight. I need to tell you something. It's urgent. My dad said, well, I can come, but mom's not quite ready yet for dinner, so I'll come on up alone. No, he said, no, wait. Wait for her until she's ready. I want the two of you to come together. Mom said that she dreaded going. She didn't want to say goodbye. It felt morbid, but she had run out of excuses. So both of them went. And when they sat down in his condo, they said, he said to them, I have had the most wonderful life anybody could ever hope to have. And since I moved here to this community, the two of you have been such gracious, warm, and wonderful friends. I am in no pain. I have said all my goodbyes to my family. I am so happy, and I just wanted to be with you one more time. My mom said to me, I am so glad I went. It was the most uplifting, joyful, wonderful thing I have been a part of in such a long time. In moments like these, we realize that every single one of us is fragile and vulnerable and powerless. When we stand before God, none of us has our act together. When we stand with the poor, we see something anew. When we stand by the bedside of the dying, life looks different. We need friendship with those who have already been to hell because then we can receive the gracious welcome of God who knows us in our most fragile and vulnerable state. All of us lack something. All of us weep. All of us hunger for something that we have not yet tasted. All of us occasionally knows we are the outsider. And when we stand alongside the poor, we can no longer pretend that we too have no need of a savior. I have been to Rome and Paris and London and Munich and the Taj Mahal, and I have never been in any physical place where I felt most keenly aware of the blessed presence of Almighty God than walking down the back dusty roads of Nicaragua where women carry water on their heads for miles for their families to drink, and children play with homemade soccer balls in the dusty streets, and the warm aroma of fresh baked tortillas over an open fire and coffee brewing that was grown in those fields is present. In our humility and in our brokenness, we know that it is true Blessed are the poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. We do not have this life all figured out. We know in our minds that Jesus proclaimed that God's economy of blessedness to the poor is still true, but we struggle to live as if it really is. A mentor of mine, a pastor here in the 80s, Jean Bryce, told this story from the Talmud. The Talmud is an ancient Jewish text, and yet this story captures, I think, what Luke was saying about compassion for the poor, about those of us who live in a world that is upside down. A certain king had a son. The son became angry and ran away. 
the king searched him out, found him, and sent a messenger saying, please come back home, come home once again. The boy replied in bitterness, I cannot return. And then the king sent another message saying, it's okay. Return only as far as you can, and I will come to you the rest of the way. When we see the world right side up, the God of heaven comes to us and empowers us to see it from a new angle, upside down. More than a year ago, I heard a podcast. It was a podcast from Michael Barbero, and he was telling about a recent experience in Haiti, which is one of our globe's poorest countries. In fact, in Haiti, people are so incredibly poor that sometimes they cannot even afford to die. Sometimes a family member dies in the hospital or from an accident at home, and the family knows that the body is going to be taken to the morgue, but the family living on $2 a day is unable to pay the $1,100 that it would take to provide a proper burial and funeral, and so the body is just left at the morgue where it will later be discarded. The podcast tells about a, ten, a man who lost his 10-month-old son, and he and his family spent months trying to gather up enough money, scrape together enough to go and get the body and provide a proper burial, but they were unsuccessful. And so a group of about 10 volunteers gathers together about once every four weeks. They go to the morgue to take the discarded bodies. Some of them put on hazmat suits. Some of them go in in their regular clothes. They pick up the bodies. They place a pall or a funeral cloth over the deceased. They carry the loved ones with no names to the graveyard. And standing in sandals and working with pickaxes, they dig graves. They sing Haitian hymns. They sprinkle holy water on the open graves. They say prayers together. And over the last several years, they have done this for over 30,000 Haitian brothers and sisters whose names and stories they do not know, but whose dignity they guard. This story haunted me for over a year, and so I went back and listened to it again just recently, and I was startled when I listened to it again that I had not noticed the first listen, but there is a name for this group of men caring for the poorest of the poor in Haiti. They call themselves the Society of St. Luke. They echo the story that Luke told, that where others find death, they find life. Jesus ends his life on a cross and is placed in a graveyard behind a stone. And there, life rises up and the world turns upside down. Is it true? Is it still true? Only our lives will bear the answer. <laughs>